Hey, welcome to another episode of When Bad Things Happen to Good People. My name's Todd Sullivan. With me today is special guest, Carlos Sia. Hey, everyone. And today we're talking about a book called This Book is Anti-Racists. It's very appropriately named. That's, keep, that's I, true. I keep telling people when I'm telling them about this podcast that I'm going to do with you and how I'm finally reading a book. I keep calling it, this book is not racist because I keep forgetting the title. But yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Right? It's not though. It, well, it's not. I guess yeah, the book isn't racist. It's not. That's true. But it's also anti-racist. Not, not yes. Like, not racist is just the absence of racism. <laughs> True, I guess. this book is actively anti-racist. Yeah. It's it's actively uh, pushing against racism. Apparently, that's a controversial thing. Apparently, what this book should be is just not racist. Uh, yeah. According, I, I, according yeah. to uh, the South Lake, Texas School District. So, um, um, not to jump into it quite yet, because we need to have a moment to say, hey, how's it going? How are you? Thank uh, you for coming. Are you talking to me or yeah, uh, to the, our listeners? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing this is really a well. Show. We don't. We I don't know. Yeah, our I listeners to... are in the room. On this podcast, <laughs> it's so. just you and me. It's All right, no one's me. gonna pop up behind yeah. us. Um, I am doing well. Yeah, it's been uh, a really good week. Uh, we're just coming off. This is a short week because yeah. we're just coming off of uh, our Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I, the week has been going by pretty quick, and uh, I'm excited for the weekend to do not work stuff. That's fine. Yeah. I always like that. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, pretty well. Pretty well. Uh, glad to be uh, back to covering uh, a book on this podcast. We've, well, I, I, we've done books for a while, but they were all children's books, and now, of course... Yeah, I was going to say over the summer Kind of a had... children's book, too, but it's a, a, probably a slightly older demographic, this one. Um, slightly older. Slightly. It's still, uh, yeah, like an still, elementary. I mean, it was yeah. taken from a fourth grade classroom, um, so it is still sort of meant for younger people. But um, so now, question because I haven't actually looked into like where it's been um, banned. Yeah, is it currently banned? I'm assuming in this in Texas because that's the story you sent me. Yeah, um, it, so it is still here's, here's the situation, and and there is a, a specific news story that inspired me to want to cover this book, and that comes out of South Lake, Texas, uh, just in the last week. Uh, so by the time this is out, you know, maybe ten days, two weeks. Um, basically, what happened is a, a, a student in, a t- in in the fourth grade brought this book home. Uh, this book being the book, this book is anti-racist by Tiffany Jewell. And they brought this book home and their mother found the book and complained to the teacher that the book violated her family's morals and faith. Uh, the teacher apparently said, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll take the book out of the library or whatever. But apparently the mother would was still troubled by how the teacher responded to the concerns and basically went and filed uh, an official report against the teacher. So this teacher, uh, whose name is Ricky Farah, uh, 
went from being the teacher of the year last year to now having like an official written reprimand in her file over this book. Wow. Because somebody found the, I guess the ideas of being anti-racist to be against their morals and faith. I'm not sure which religion that would be that finds anti-racism against their morals and faith. Um, But anyway, this, what this has led to is a kind of a sweeping mandate to the school board in this area that um, teachers have to look their books and, and decide whether they provide multiple perspectives and to discard books that present singular dominant narratives uh, in such a way that it might be considered offensive. Um, which is to say that if you're going to have a book about how racism is bad, you also have to have a book about how racism maybe isn't bad. Okay. <laughs> or you just don't have either of those. Uh, just no order, books anymore in, in schools. to maintain neutrality. Yeah. Because that's the thing is, is it's got to be, it's got to be balanced and neutral. But now like you have to have separate books that are like canceling each other out or the books you have have to show both perspectives. Either or, I think. Okay. So you either have a book that shows both perspectives in it. I'm I'm having troubles thinking of a way to present racism in like the other side of racism being in a positive light. Yeah. Um, maybe you can help me out. Does that no, exist? Is that a I real don't think thing? I can't or... help you out. Because okay. All right. It doesn't make any more sense okay, to me. So I'm not going crazy. Which is and... a bit why I look at this mandate as a what? How do you do this? Uh, And I guess this part comes partly from a new Texas law that prohibits schools from teaching lessons that might make students feel, quote, discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress, unquote, because of their race. And it's, I, I don't like the idea of making kids feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress. But I don't think the problem here is necessarily that. And more the problem is that, like, are their ancestors that were white were shitheads? Yeah. And did awful things. So my, my issue with that is... What is causing them more psychological distress and discomfort? Being bullied because of their race or whatever, and that's just how society has kept things going, and we just decide to not teach them a better way, or reading some things in a book and realizing that the way things are right now and the way things have been are not good and we need to make a change. Like, I feel like kids right now are in such a weird place with you know you add social media into the mix and people can kind of hide behind their keyboard and you have a lot more of that racism and hate shining through and you've got kids who have like depression and are cutting themselves and doing all this stuff because of what has come down from racism and you know, the way that the system has been worked against them for, for in, in this book, she calls it the global majority. 
Um, but you know, everyone else calls them, considers them the minority. Mm -hmm. That's the, how society uh, reflects uh, or calls them. So I don't know. I would much rather children go through some discomfort while learning uh, and educating and being educated in, I guess, a better future, you know, how to be more of a better human being than have kids bullied because of something that, you know, their parents and ancestors have kept going on because it's it's less uncomfortable to not talk about this stuff. Right? Well, like, it's it's like the old, you know, those who forget the past, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, yeah. you know, we're they're asking that that these kids not ever confront the past. Yeah, you know? but the people in the past didn't confront the past, and that's what created our future, right? Yeah, right. So what have we learned from that? Like, nothing. That's what, but yeah. The other thing, too, though, is that so far in this case, this hasn't been an issue of a student feeling, you know, uncomfortable. It's the parent. Mm, so, yeah. you know, and in that case, again, this is probably a case where, you know, one of the things this book, and, and we will talk more specifically about what's in the book in a minute, but... This book really encourages people to look at their own lives and look at their own mm -hmm. families, look at their own histories, uh, both in how you've been affected by racism and how maybe you have been a participant in in racism, either intentionally or institutionally or, mm -hmm. or whatever. And that is something that a lot of people don't like addressing. They don't like, you know, I hear, I see a lot of people on, on Facebook when it comes to talking about, um, you know, first nations issues and stuff about how like, well, you know, I didn't do anything against them. It was my ancestors. So I'm fine. And, and that's valid, but I think you still have to look at, at, you know, where you're at right now is to some extent a result of that past racism well and she does mention something about that like our history is started way before we were even born you mm -hmm. know like our history started with you know our grandparents history and their grandparents history and how you know how those generations raised each other which then brought us to where we are now so you know the life you're living now was affected and influenced by the way that your parents were raised and their parents were raised so yeah, we we need to do something. Like even if we make a change now and everything went perfect, like it's still going to take generations to correct where we've made some mistakes along the path in in creating these inequalities. Yeah. So I don't know, but she she does touch on that in the book and and mentions about you know your history starts before you're even born, which yeah. was interesting. I like that part. Yeah, but I think this is probably the case where. It's it's the mother who didn't like the idea of having to confront the issues mm -hmm. of of like the fact that every cis white male female in Canada and the U.S. is living on land that was stolen. Mm -hmm. Right? People don't like to think about that. More than likely, this is this is a mother that didn't want her son. And through that herself, and yeah, I am I am probably putting some words in her head, but that's just the way it feels. Like this is this was her reaction to the book of we don't want to explore these ideas, so let's get this out of the library. 
Now, does it say in that article whether the parent actually read the book or just skimmed through the beginning uh, part? I'm or... not clear on whether she read right. the whole book or just sort of skimmed it or, or what just, the case yeah. was. Okay. I Again, in most of these cases, I find that it's it's very knee-jerk. It's very yeah. much like you might read one sentence and be like, oh, they're calling my son a racist, so yeah. we need to get this book out of the library. Um, but it has led to the teachers basically shutting down their libraries right now. They've got yeah. there's they've put blankets over them. They've they've got uh, like a do not cross or whatever. Yeah, right. And like all the libraries are basically closed down right now uh, until they can go through and and literally vet every single book as far as whether it's got a neutral stance or not uh, in order to prevent. Any more parents or kids from becoming uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> Which, uh, it just, it blows my mind. That, yeah. Wow. Because life is always comfortable. Well, right? and what right, is like... history, if not a whole lot of uncomfortable truths about yeah. <laughs> who we are as people and the shitty things we did. I mean, even in the Bible, uh, <laughs> you got a guy who's like, hey, let's just be nice to each other and we... Nailed them to a stick. So <laughs> humanity—that's true. Yeah, it's a lot of issues to deal with here. Um, so yeah, when when I read about this story and read about this book being kind of the catalyst to this whole thing, um, I was immediately like, "Well, we should cover this on the podcast because this is exactly the kind of mm-hmm. books I want to talk about." And whenever I can kind of tie them into something timely, uh, I like to be able to do that. Yeah, and. Uh, I will say that I'm not uh I I mean it's it's an interesting title but it it feels like and I mean this is this is mostly joking but like you know those I don't like books that put their thesis right in the title mm-hmm. right it's like would you rather read the the handmaid's tale or would you rather read this is a uh, a veiled warning of what happens when uh what uh the 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 uh, what's it called the the but the men the, the men, the patriarchy. patriarchy. Okay, this is what happens when <laughs> patriarchy and Christian values are out of control. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. That would still because it doesn't give you. Yeah, that's, that's not. True. It doesn't give you all yeah. the details. It's still in the man. Oh, this may be interesting, but yeah, it's. Um, but yeah, the book. This book is very clear about what it is right up front. Well, and it is uh, an educational tool. Like it's that's not right. a uh, a novel for people to read to get some entertainment value out of like it is very much a like there are the lessons at the end or activities at the end of each chapter to go through so i mean yeah i guess having it very just black and white what the title is tells you exactly what it's going to be and if you want to dive into that world and learn how to be anti-racist then yeah this is a great book for it yeah and I think personally, I think anyone who sees a book that's called "This Book Is Anti-Racist" should be like, "Hell yeah, yeah!" Let's, I, let's find out how I can be more anti-racist. We should all I, well, be wanting to be more anti-racist. I agree. And I had a conversation today um, on a, a different topic, uh, or that stemmed from a different topic, but came to the same idea of people feeling that guilt when they come into this sort of topic. And it was really interesting because um, we were basically, this shouldn't be something like, yes, maybe you and I aren't intentionally 
being super racist to people. There are, you know, as the book talks about microaggressions and things like that, that maybe we're not aware of, but Mm -hmm. that's because that's the way we've just grown up in society. So we don't think of them that way. And this book, I haven't once thought to myself, holy, you know, oh yeah, we can swear on this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Like I'm a horrible person. It's made me question some of the things that I've, you know, said and, and done thinking like, has this been offensive to somebody? Has this been racist towards somebody is what I'm doing. So it's definitely made me question that, but it hasn't come out from, you know, the half of the book that I've read so far hasn't made, like, it's not pointing a finger at, at white people saying you're all horrible. Yeah, It goes through some of the past and, you know, this is how things came to be. But it also builds people up, you know, it, um, she capitalizes all of the, uh, the races, you know, the, the pronouns for the races. So to give them importance, uh, she calls them the global majority because that's the fact, like white people aren't the majority. It's just, we've created a society where we feel we are. Um, so she doesn't do anything that really points blame at current people, uh, in the, you know, the, the cisgender male whatever people that seem to have power now i haven't once felt that she's shaming anyone yeah so i i think so far she's done a really good job of educating and yes people should be reading a book like this to and thinking to themselves like how has our society and how has all this stuff that's come to be how has that affected my family how have i contributed to maybe what's going on right now and how society is and what can I do better? I think that's what should come out of this book yeah. and not, not feeling, you know, embarrassed or whatever the, the newspaper article said that kids are going to be feeling ashamed and whatever. Yeah. I mean, the concern from according to the law is uh, just a sec. The law is that kids can't or shouldn't feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress because of their race. Um, I think if anything, this, this book builds up people for whatever race they are. Yeah. Um, I know, I, I guess for myself, as I read through some of the, the, the stories, I did have moments of realizing that you're not realizing, cause I guess I probably already always knew, but like just reinforcing the idea that I had a pretty cis white male, middle-class, uh, privileged mm-hmm. upbringing that probably a lot of other people didn't. And yeah, I felt that too, but it was never to the point of like, oh, I should feel bad about this. It just made me realize like, wow, I have so much privilege with the life I've been given just because of the color I am and others don't. So it it made me more aware of it. Not that I wasn't aware before, but that at is at the most what I felt was just more aware of the privilege that I have that others aren't, you know, don't get in their life, which isn't a bad thing. Like I, I don't feel bad that the book made me think that way. Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I think, yeah. I mean, being reminded of those sorts of things is important. Um, Let's get into the actual book itself. So Mm -hmm. it is broken up into sort of four, four parts. We're covering the first two parts uh, this episode. That's part one, waking up, understanding and growing into my identities. And part two, opening the window, making sense of the world. Uh, 
And this is all pretty much just kind of, well, I mean, part one is kind of a, a look at the different terms that they're going to be using throughout the book. Yes. You looked like you were looking for Sorry, something. I was just, I was looking at, as you were talking, I was looking at the sound, the foam on the wall to make sure it was level. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm still listening to all you. Right, no, no, it's, it's so not that you needed to, me to, like, no. that you were had lost no. something. You need, okay. No. Um, all right, so chapter one. Who am I? Uh, they talk about the dominant culture versus the subordinate culture uh, in a society. Um, I mean, I'm definitely, I feel definitely that I'm part of the dominant culture as a cis white male. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know how. So here's my thing. Another thing that came up in my conversation earlier today was people look at their their individuality when they approach these, you know, racial issues and think like, oh, I'm not you know, I have all sorts of friends and I'm not racist and whatever. It's like, okay, sure. Maybe you aren't to the extent where it's overtly racist, but at the same time, you got to look at the bigger picture. So as you know, some white cis males may have a shitty upbringing, you know, individually, but as a collective white men have done pretty well in getting whatever they wanted in yeah. in life. And so, yeah, I you know, when people are like, oh, I'm not this, I'm not that. Sure, maybe you aren't. But collectively, yes, we have contributed to this, the way society has been shaped now. Um, so I, I that was just something that came up that I was like, you know what, that, yeah, we really need to be aware of. It's not the individual person. Yes, there are individual people who are racist and whatever. But it's more of the collective that is affected affected and the ones that are you know putting these um these societal norms in place and creating them it's not one individual it's everyone so yeah i feel like when when she's talking about a lot of this stuff it's that was something that was i was thinking it's like okay yes i've been a nice person i've been this i've been that but it's all of us as a cis white yeah. male group that have added to this and kept it going. I think it's also similar to when you talk about, you know, the ideas of white privilege and, and you have somebody who's like, you know, well, I've worked really hard my entire life. I don't feel like I have any privilege. And it's like, you know, it's not saying that, you know, there's this concept of white privilege doesn't mean that every cis white person is living in a McMansion somewhere and, and <laughs> kicking their feet up and having a great time. It just means that compared to other races, mm -hmm. you had a step up. Um, lots of white people living, you know, at or below the poverty line. Um, lots, probably even some that, you know, were at a, at a level similar to um, the, you know, non-white cis mm -hmm. people. But just generally speaking, as, as a race we have had a step up because yeah. we've been exploiting. When I say we, again, it's not you and I, it's culturally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exploiting these, these other races for our benefit. Yeah. I'm, I'm always reminded of that. There's this one video of a class where they're running across a field. Do you know what I'm talking about? And they, the teacher, you know, talk, starts giving out like the directions of, okay, well, if you, or I don't know what he says, but it's like, if you're white, take a step forward. If you live in this mm -hmm. neighborhood, take a step forward. I don't know, whatever he says. And it ends up being like, you've got the 
the, you know, white cis individuals that are like halfway up the field because they had all these privileges right. awarded to them along the way. And you've got these uh, minority groups that are at the back. And then when he's like, OK, we're going to race to the end now, you can see clearly just from that video of like how unfair it is for mm -hmm. some of these kids who really haven't done anything other than being born in the race that they are. But I mean, the other, the, the, the other part of that too, is that at the end of it, the end of that race, everybody ran, mm -hmm. right? Some had to run harder than others. Mm -hmm. Right. So even there, this idea that like, yeah, there's the, the, the whites there had the privilege of being closer to the finish line. But they still had to run. And so, yeah, yeah, course, oh, yeah, when we say there's white privilege, again, it doesn't mean that everybody has $100,000 in the bank and blah, 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 blah. It just means that there was a step up yeah. compared to other people. Um, But, yeah, one of the, another thing that came up in that first chapter was the idea that the dominant culture um, isn't always the majority, which is, is an interesting thing to think about because we do – frame it as majority, you know, mm -hmm. these are the minorities over here, even though uh, they've taken to using the phrase global majority, um, which is one I'd not heard before, but I, I think it's really, it's mm -hmm. really interesting. And it's a good reminder of the fact that, yeah, we've built these societies where, you know, the, 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 the cis white middle-class people are the dominant culture. Yeah but may not be uh, the majority. Yeah. Right. And also, when you take all the minorities and add them together, they become a pretty big majority in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you look at voting turnout numbers, like it's almost like if, if you had like everyone who didn't vote went and voted for the same candidate, that candidate would <laughs> absolutely win. <laughs> Because there's like, it's something like, you know, maybe 51% sometimes of people who didn't vote. The majority of people didn't even go to the polls. Yeah. And, you know, well, and it's pretty crazy right now in the States. They're trying to pass all these laws to limit the, you know, the quote unquote minorities from even getting to the polling stations. So, like, it is. You can even see it now how the system that we have in place is making it a lot harder for these people to even get a fair chance at anything. Um, yeah, it's just crazy. Um, one thing that I, I have at the top of my notes that I thought was interesting, just kind of on a side tangent... So when she refers to folks, which she says a F -O -L -X. lot... F-O-L-X, which I didn't even realize was a... a gendered term i thought folks was just like everyone um but yeah so she instead of f-o-l-k-s it's f-o-l-x and i guess that's a thing i just you learn something new every day i don't yeah. I, I, I don't personally think that folks is particularly gendered. I, yeah i didn't either but i guess if whatever it's not hurting me and if no, they no, want to exactly, call exactly, it that fine exactly. all right and which I, have, I, think, I have seen that sort of x used in other places to to like Latin, well, yeah, accent. well, and I've seen I I understand it in in that sense where there is a either an O or an A, right? So the the word itself in the language, like with Italian, if it ends in an O, it's masculine. If it ends in an A, it's feminine. So, and I'm assuming it's the same with Spanish. 
I can see it and understand it in that sense, but when it ends in a KS, I don't know, I just assumed it would be for everyone, but all right. I just think it's convenient that the KS and the X make pretty much the same sound. Yeah, exactly. You still pronounce it the same way. You you, you say it, in the back of your mind, you you do the X, but then nobody even knows that you're doing the X. Probably makes it easier for people who don't speak English as a first language to spell it. Well, the L is still pretty weird. Yeah, that's true, yeah. It's even weirder, actually, but yeah, it's got to <laughs> okay. be there. Otherwise, well, it's Fox. Yeah. Uh, in Chapter 2, uh, there's a discussion of what social identities are. And that's, I guess, sort of, you know, who you are in the in the greater social context. So, like, whether you're Christian or an atheist, whether, you know, what your job is, um, and... Uh, you know what um, is this the one where at the end the activity was like i am and then say what kind of list off your terms or whatever there's a lot of those throughout these i think like the first three chapters were all sort of yeah, extensions like, of like who, are, who you? are you yeah what makes you you yeah going back to like the individual level of things it's like we should be proud of what we've achieved in life mm-hmm. you know even as a cis um you know male cis white male we should be proud of the things that we've achieved, but also recognize that we achieved them with the help of being, mm. you know, the race that we are and where we're, you know, where we were born. And yeah, we need to do something to try and and help everyone to be able to have the same privileges that we, we have. And it's going to be a huge societal change. Um, and something else that came up in conversation today was and i think it was it was touched on in the book was that in order for that change to happen it would require that the current majority would have to give up some of their privileges Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't see that as a bad thing Mm -hmm. but again that goes back to you have to think at a a more global scale and less of an individual scale because, yeah, you could look at somebody who's down on their luck and, you know, hasn't really had the same privilege. Well, they've had the same privileges, but they haven't been doing so well in life. And they feel like that they haven't had the privileges. And so, yeah, to them, they aren't going to want to give up anything. But I don't think it's really they're not the ones that are going to be making those changes. I think it's, you know, the higher level you know, government and businesses and all those corporations that end up pushing down their, you know, the laws and the rules and all those societal norms. I think they're the ones that have to make the big change. And sure, you might have people that are going to argue and grumble. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's what needs to be done. That sounds suspiciously like socialism, man. Oh, man. Uh, Chapter three, what is race and what is ethnicity? Well, it seems like this book is defining race as basically the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. And ethnicity is your cultural identity and kind of your history. So I would be uh, white as a race. And my ethnicity would be like uh, Irish, England, European kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, So I'm white as well. In the book, she talks about uh, we don't use Caucasian anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, I'm white, um, and I'm Italian, uh, a hundred percent Italian. 
I didn't come from Italy, but my parents did. So, so you're not you're not really 100. percent I mean, I mean, okay, I, you're 100 Italian. Sorry, from an ethnicity. Yeah, perspective. and but I'm I don't like, think, I don't think like the the Italian Business Bureau would <laughs> approve of a 100 Italian label yeah. for you. But he was born in Canada. Yeah, he was born in Canada. Um, but I like I. It's interesting saying I'm Canadian because what is Canadian? Canadian is just it's a bunch of races that have come together a bunch of different ethnicities that that came to Canada like there is no i don't know i guess if you were 100% canadian technically you would be an indigenous person because they're yeah, exactly, the first exactly. ones here so i don't know i'm like i'm italian and i don't have any other ethnicities in there um but i was born in canada there was a quote in this chapter that i really liked from to Ta, I'm going to screw this name up. Tanahisi Coates from Between the World and Me. The quote is, but race is the child of racism, not the father. And that struck me as like a really, really different and important way of looking at race and racism. That ra- the idea that like racism comes about as a result of race means that you're starting with dividing people mm-hmm. based on the color of their skin, which is not something that you even need to do. Yeah. But right? there's no reason to do that. We're all the same species, right? We're all the same race. Yeah. The human race. Well, and that's what something else that um, she touches on. It's funny. I have that same quote mm-hmm. noted in my uh, notes here, um, but she does touch on uh, that specific thing of, you know, we've, divided people up because we for whatever reason humans need to categorize things and it's not even based on science really like it's we're all humans the only thing is the pigmentation of our skin Mm -hmm. and that's the the level of what is it malone melanin yeah um so yeah it is very interesting that we've we've divided ourselves up which yeah, that's where the racism starts. Yeah. Is by it, already saying you're different. To divide yeah. yeah. Chapter four. What is racism? Personal. What is racism? Uh, I think I've grabbed this note from the book. Racism mm-hmm. is personal prejudice and bias. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those are all you know the personal levels of racism where um, that's you know crossing the street because you see a group of black kids walking on the sidewalk or it's, it's, you know, you know, the security guard who, you know, is watching the, the black kid or the first nations person, assuming that they're going to, mm-hmm. you know, rob, rob the, store. the place. Maybe the way to do it though, is to like go, go on a team with a, like a, a different race. And like the white guy does the stealing while the huh. black kid distracts the guard, like get all the guards looking at the black kids and I'm just stealing all the stuff. I think that's happened before. Probably has, yeah. <laughs> um, I think so. It's really interesting to me. So being a just a male, not even a white male, but just being a male, I have female friends. I know you'd be shocked to learn that, but mm. I, in talking to them, I've realized that if there is a female walking down the road. I should cross onto the other side mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, not, mm-hmm. you know, give them fear that I'm one of the crazy males. And so in, you know, when she said that line, 
about, you know, racism is crossing the street when whatever you see a minority. I was like, oh, but what if like, okay, what if it is a black woman and I don't want to like be like, I don't know. I was just well, having yeah. that internal debate. Like just I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I thought about that exact same thing. Right. Yeah. I recently that like, yeah, if you're walking down the street behind a woman cross the street, so she doesn't yeah. feel uncomfortable. I don't want her to think I'm racist. I just want her to <laughs> right, be like, exactly. Oh, he's not a rapist. <laughs> okay. That's okay. But I mean, you, uh, I guess I would rather her think that you stay on I'm the sidewalk. You're a rapist. You cross the street. You're a racist. Yeah. You spell it almost the same yeah. way. You just swap out a letter. But I guess she would feel more safe if I was across the Probably, street. I so yeah. she can think I'm a racist all she wants as long as she feels safe. That's, I guess, the moral of that story. That's right. <laughs> um, and then chapter five, what is racism institutional? So that's like, you know, businesses, housing, government, education, um, you know, businesses not hiring people because of, you know, their mm-hmm. names. Not um, promoting because of, yeah. Yep. Race and all that. And a lot of it has been so, um, well, like voting lines in the in the U.S. is, is all Oh, very, yeah, all that gerrymandering. It's and, all very yeah. built around race and stuff and, and – uh, even though like they're still trying to change those things, a lot of those are already in place. And so that's, you know, institutional racism that has been there for a while mm-hmm. that n- now needs to be worked to get passed. And that's where we're at with a lot of these things is that it is, you know, or it's cases where I think there was a, maybe this was this chapter, or maybe it was a different one where they talk about these three slaves these two or these three maybe they weren't slaves at the time i can't remember what they were called but basically two white guys mm, and a black mm-hmm. guy uh and they escaped yeah. from where they were working and they got caught and they went to trial and the white guys got whatever their sentence was but the black guy was sentenced to servitude for life to the guy and yeah his sentence was different because he was seen as less than the white people and again that's an example of you know institutional racism in the laws of the yeah. country so and you can you can look at the incarceration rate of oh, yeah. black men in the states, and I don't know how you can argue that when you look at the stats of crimes being committed, the you know black men aren't doing more of the crimes; they're just being sentenced more and harsher sentences than their white counterparts. Exactly. I've seen so many news stories where they're comparing these two different uh, these two different criminals, one white. One black, they've both basically committed the same crime, um, but it's like the white guy's getting like, you know, 18 months suspended sentence. The black guy's going to jail for 20 years. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but I feel like sometimes it is that extreme mm-hmm. a difference where uh, based on the color of your skin, you are getting the severest possible penalty. Yeah. It's insane. And then even... Even if you were at the point where we got it to like, okay, fine, they're sentencing the people adequately across the board, you still have to look at like, okay, maybe that white person has the privilege of getting bail because <laughs> yeah. they can afford yeah. it. Whereas the the black person or the, you know, the, the person of minority uh, race doesn't have those funds to access. And so it's like, even at that level... It's Being ridiculous. Able to afford a lawyer versus yeah. having to take the one that's appointed to you. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. It's just, I find it hard for people to ever argue that, oh, racism doesn't exist now. Like, no, it's, it's systemically rooted in our life. It's all around us. Yeah, it's the same thing with, like, um, stats of, of uh, black kids being shot by police. Through the roof compared to white mm-hmm. people being shot by police. I mean, it's actually, like, the numbers are, they're not that far apart. But when you consider the fact that, like, there's, like, one-fifth or whatever the number of black mm-hmm. people compared to white people, they, they should be much smaller than they are, right? I think it comes up later in the book, but since we're talking about like shootings, um, there was she does mention that story of what is it, Zimmerman and oh uh, Trayvon Martin, yeah Trayvon yeah. Martin, and how the is it I think it was Florida or I don't know if it's all the states has that stand your ground thing, and he ended up just getting off because he was standing his ground, even though he was in his vehicle, Trayvon was walking. He was a kid with a candy bar. I don't know how you can plead self-defense when... When you have a vehicle! Just drive! Well, when the other person didn't even have a weapon. Even if you felt threatened that this... And let's just... Let's say Trayvon was like a seven-foot giant that could totally kick your ass with his fists. You're in a fucking vehicle. Just keep driving. You didn't have to stop. Yeah. If you felt threatened, drive away. Don't, like, pulling out your gun... I don't know, but that's that's even if Trayvon was huge. He was like a 14-year-old kid going to his dad's house after buying some candy. Like, I don't know. That whole thing was bullshit. The judge is obviously, like, racist, and I don't know. It just, it really frustrated, frustrated me reading that that part of the book, but that's I think that was that, later on. I mean, on. all those stories are pretty sad. Yeah. Um, this takes us to part two, opening the window, making sense of the world. And chapter six, prejudice is personal. Um, well, this is where we had that fun story about the um, the author talking about the student in her class. Oh yeah, who uh, was basically bullied by the teacher because they wanted to go to the bathroom. Yeah, and then was basically um, got in trouble because they peed he yeah peed himself in class because was, was denied the opportunity to go to the bathroom and then peed himself and then got in trouble for that. So yeah, no winning with that teacher. It was That's not a teacher is gonna have this book is not race this book is anti racist in their classroom, I think. That, that no, I don't even think they would have a second thought of like, should I bring this book to my class? <laughs> no. Uh they talk about how prejudice is the personal side of racism. Uh it's an attitude toward an individual or group based on the social group they belong to. Um or the racial group, I guess they belong to. Um so yeah, it's like I don't like you because you're black, or I don't like you because you're different. Different. Mm, yeah. You have a weird face. Um, I got a note here, which I didn't even realize this, but in the book she says students can be arrested for disorderly conduct, which can be anything from repeatedly speaking out in class and not handing in your phone to getting into physical fights with another, with other students uh, or, or anything that can disrupt the normal teaching day. I didn't, so like teachers can call the police for disorderly conduct of a student and have them arrested. And this is, seems to be happening. I mean, if she wrote about it, obviously it's a thing that's 
going on. Are you looking up that part? No, or, I oh. want. It reminded me of a story that I I read recently that I wanted to see if I could find about uh, a bunch of black kids that were arrested for pretty much nothing. Um. But like it's, I just remember days in when I was in school and I would do stupid things in class and it would be, you know, laughed off or the teacher would basically just send me to the, uh, you know, the principal's office, whatever, or send me outside the classroom. And that was the end of it. But kids are being arrested and they have a criminal record before they even get out of school because of this racist society that we've got and and these laws that are set up to basically make them fail. Yeah. Tennessee County reportedly illegally jailed hundreds of children, charging some with crimes that don't exist. Uh, This is from Forbes. For years, the suburban county near Nashville, Tennessee, illegally locked up children and in at least one instance used bogus charges to justify it, according to a bombshell ProPublica investigation published Friday as part of a system that sent kids as young as seven to jail. Um, Rutherford County, Tennessee, used what county officials called a filter system starting in 2008, which left it up to the discretion of of jailers to decide whether a child arrested and taken into the juvenile detention center should be released through Tennessee law, though Tennessee law only allows for children to be held under specific circumstances. Um, but they basically circumvented those circumstances and jailed kids anyway. What the hell? Yeah. And so then after they were released, was it like, okay, this was a lesson for you. Don't do drugs. Or was it just like, okay, fine. You can leave now. Don't do this imaginary crime ever again. So this, this is one of them here for allegedly watching a scuffle involving a five-year-old, a six-year-old and one older boy. The children were charged with. Criminal responsibility for conduct of another, a crime that does not exist in Tennessee law. Uh, This all led to a class action lawsuit against Rutherford County, which was settled in 2017 when the county agreed to pay out a combined $397,500 to the 11 children, while a separate class action lawsuit ended the county's filter system. But yeah, that's insane. Like That is just fucked up. 48%. That's the percentage of children who were jailed in the county after cases were referred to juvenile court in 2014, the most recent year data is available. That number by was by far the most of any county in Tennessee and was a rate nearly 10 times above the state average of 5%. <laughs> wow. So. Anyway, institutional racism. Yeah, yeah it's ridiculous. Uh, chapter 7, the history that we carry. Um, so this is where they talk about how yeah, the history goes back far beyond mm-hmm. our own history. It's sort of our, our the history of our family, um, the history of our race. But it was interesting that the way she described sorry, the way she described it, it also it includes the things that we know, but also the things that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? Like she talked about how she doesn't know where Jewel, her last name, originates. And I think that's an interesting distinction, too, in that, you know, the, the, the gaps that we have in our history or in our knowledge of, of who we are, those gaps still inform who we are. It could maybe make us feel 
shame about something because we don't maybe maybe you don't know who your dad mm-hmm. is, right? Yeah, that's part of your history. That's true. Um, you know, obviously there there is an actual part of your history that involves your dad and and his family, but the absence of your dad in your life is also a part of your history. So. I thought it was interesting that like the things that we don't know can also have an important aspect on, on who we are and our history. Um, and then they talk a lot about colonization, which is um, something that I think just about every country that has been colonized has to kind of figure out how to address moving forward. And I think this is where, you know, she was talking about how if we ever wanted to try to right these wrongs or balance things out, there are people who have things now that would have to lose those things. And, mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. as I said, like every, basically, you know, if you're not a native to the country that you're in, like an original native to the country you're in, you're on land that was stolen. Yeah. Um, I'd have to go back to Ireland. There's not much room there. Yeah. It's pretty small. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like colonization is, is a huge part of everyone's history. And it's something that is either not talked about or I think it's not talked about enough with enough look at what really happened. Yeah, I think that's key because I remember in school, yes, we learned about colonization and but it was, I think, with a a rose colored lens of, you know, the. Indigenous people were brought to, you know, a a school where they learned the ways of, you know, whatever, the The European, what, yeah. (laughs) And so it was kind of with that lens of like, oh, yeah, we gave them an education where they didn't have one before. We gave them food and all that stuff. And not you, you skip over the part of like, yes, the children were ripped apart from their family. They were housed in, you know, shitty dorm rooms whatever and and starved and tortured and molested and all those things like yeah we left that part out of the education side of things because that would make people feel uncomfortable i guess but that's the truth um and yeah there there was a you know, note or the, the you know the first thanksgiving story about how the oh yeah we all know, sat at a table and we traded and whatever blankets and everything and here, yeah you, before you leave take one of these handy smallpox blankets yeah Bye. So, yeah, like they they leave that part out of it. And that's that's the way it was taught was like, oh, yeah, we came here. We we gave them a better way of life. Just because the way of their life was different than the colonizers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and there's a note here that uh, um, in the book that she has of. Uh, In 1978, Native American families were finally granted the right to choose the type of education their children received and were able to keep them on the reservation and with their families. 1978 wasn't that long ago. And I was just trying to find out when, and that's in the States, and I think in Canada it was even later than that. I I think it was 96 that the last residential residential school school closed. That might be it. I don't think they were doing as harsh of things in 96, but still for a residential school to be open in 96. 97. 
Was it 97? Oh, yeah. So. Last federally funded residential school, Kivalik Hall in Rankin Inlet, closed in 1997. Yeah. So when when we think of these things being something in the past, it's not that far in the past. Like we're still infants in this whole, you know, truth and reconciliation thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where are we? Chapter eight, knowing our history. And this is where they get into the residential schools. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, I didn't have like chapter notes. I just kind of yeah, no, wrote right. all. It's probably, it probably makes more sense to sort of talk about it in general because the chapters are all kind of, they kind of they have all yeah. melt together. <laughs> yeah. um, no real sequential order to that. Uh, but yes, yeah, residential schools. And then she talks about the integration of schools in the U.S. And, uh, and you know, I, I've heard about those stories before. But something about, like, there was some, there's a section in the book that had, you know, a bunch of these pictures mm-hmm. from the past. Yeah. And and I just found myself in looking at these pictures, like, trying to imagine, like, it's easy to look back and say, you know, be like, you know, wow, what a, what a victory it was to get, finally get racial integration in the schools. Do you imagine, though, being a third grade student who's black? And having to go into that classroom for the first time into an integrated class where odds are um, teachers don't want to teach you. Yeah, you're not very welcome. You're not welcome. Yeah. I mean, in some of these students, which is not something I've heard about, in some of these schools, um, the the white students just didn't go anymore. Parents like pulled them out of school. We're like, we're not going to send them there with you dirty black kids. Well, there's the the picture in the book. Yeah, yeah, it was in 1964. There was a white boycott that... um, yeah, and you there's in the picture you can see five black children with a bunch of empty desks in the classroom, and there's a teacher that looks bored as hell and not impressed that she has to be there. But how terrifying for those students yeah. that, that who are like eight years they're old, children, eight years old. They don't know what the fuck's going on. Like they're innocent at this point. Uh, and then there's the stat in this chapter that black folks are eight times more likely to be stopped by the police, which is, um, it's just the, the fact That's, of the world, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, and then chapter nine, we are our history. Um, we haven't guess, read I that one yet. That I, th- I think came from the, I don't think it came from the book. Maybe it was my interpretation of the chapter. I thought this was where we were stopping. Our, well, to the end of chapter nine. Oh, shit. I thought you said the beginning. Because that's 83 pages. That's halfway through the book. Okay. That's well, 160. Sorry. Okay. Okay. We can we that, can do chapter nine. Yeah, no, you can educate me. Just because it was, it's a break between part two and part three. Oh, sorry. So oh, okay. I, yeah, I try to do about halfway. Okay. But I also try to, I would rather break like after a chapter or after a part. Um, so that's all. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Sorry. But, I'm a chapter behind that. But I don't have very good notes here anyway. It's like our history is made up of people, racists and anti-racists. Yep. <laughs> that's and the world. Time, yeah. They'll both explode. <laughs> uh, as much as our history involves racists, racist acts and groups, it also includes anti-racist acts and groups as well. Isn't that funny? Mm. Huh. Um, I don't know what that really says about the chapter. 
as a whole. But I think the the last thing that they wanted you to think about on that chapter was like, what have you done to help anti-racism lately? What have you done lately to be anti-racist? Well, I'm just skimming through. So I have the PDF um, book here that I'm looking at. And um, it's interesting. I'm not sure of the full context of it. Uh, but as you say that, the quote is, we are the ones we have been waiting for. And it's a quote by June Jordan. And I feel like that is a really good way of basically saying like we're the ones that can make a change yeah exactly like we need to do the work yeah starting now we can't pass it on to our kids we can't use the excuse of i'm not racist so whatever like no maybe you don't think you're racist but we need to actively figure out how we can change the system which is working against the global majority. And this is why the anti-racist thing matters, because I think the argument is that it's not enough to just be not, not racist. racist. Yeah. It's it's time to start pushing back against racism, uh, both personal and institutional, uh, you know, and systematic, and uh, and trying to just make the world better for everybody. Although... Yeah. It's important to remember that according to the dude in The Handmaid's Tale, mm. uh, when you make the world better for some, it does not get better for everybody. Yeah, I could see that. Well, that go, but that goes again to some people are going to have to give up privileges mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. others to gain them. Yep. And so I think... When when we talk about, um, you know, equality and building everyone up, there is going to be, like, you only have, let's say, 10 privilege points to give to everyone. And right now, nine of them are given to white people. And so, yeah, maybe we need to all be down to one privilege point each, right? Like, you have to spread it across the board. So, sure, we may not all get the privileges that we would like to have, but we all have to look at it as a global lens yeah. of everyone deserves a good life. And if that means that we all have to be at the same level and all have to only have a certain amount of privileges, then, yeah, maybe that's the way it is. Maybe we all can't be billionaires, um, but we can all be thousandaires or <laughs> whatever, problem, right? Like it tends to be, though, I think, that um, most of the people who have the privilege also don't want to give up the privilege mm-hmm. and also other ones in the position to decide where the privilege where? goes. Yeah. So it, 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 it does get stuck in this permanent sort of imbalance. Yeah. And, and what do you do when it seems like as soon as, you know, I shouldn't say that that's necessarily the case, but like so often you have these people who are like, oh, I'm going to fight for your right to do things. Then they get up there and they're, they become sellouts. Yeah. Because all of a sudden they're getting all this money from big pharma and from yeah. gun lobbies and whatever else. And Or know. they even before that, they just like, oh, I'm going to fight for your rights until it kind of encroaches on something that a privilege that they have that they don't want to lose or Mm -hmm. something. And then it's like, Oh, I'll just sit this one out, but I support you keep fighting for your rights. Right. 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 And yeah, like it is a, it's it's not my fight guys, but uh, yeah, yeah. To keep going. I believe in you. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that those in power are 
going to have to make a a shift and realize that they're going to have to give up some of that power. Now, it doesn't mean that they have to live shitty lives. I think everyone could have a really good life. But it also probably means that you're not going to have a lot of Jeff Bezos of the world who are billionaires. And I think, though, I mean, we're at a point in history where if we if we handled it right, we could make sure that everyone in at least North America and probably around the world, but let's just say North America uh, lives probably a better life than anyone else in North America ever has up till now. Right. Mm. If we, if we were to, you know, increase taxes on the Bezoses and the Gates and the Elon Musks and all of that, and then did a proper distribution of wealth, um, we would absolutely be looking at lifestyles that are the best that this country, that this North Mm -hmm. America has ever seen. Um, but in doing that, we also have to shift our mentality on what a good lifestyle is. Like, I don't think we should be looking at the celebrity lifestyle of, no, you no, know, no, no, spending no. and partying right, and, exactly. you know, That's champagne and all that. It should just be like, okay, I can pay my bills. I got I can do a job that I enjoy doing and, you know, continue to make money. And I don't ever have to worry about, you know, the banks coming after me to you know, foreclose on my house. Yeah. I think that's the thing is that we've all, Hollywood has done a great job of w- showing us a lifestyle that is, you know, flamboyant and extravagant and, and wanting us to, to achieve that when it's like, no, that's not a realistic lifestyle. And it, I personally, I don't really want that lifestyle. Yeah. I just don't want to have to like live paycheck to paycheck. Right. And pay my bills. Right. But there's a lot of people who do want that lifestyle. Yeah. And they've been they've been fooled into thinking that they could get that's there. happiness. Well, oh yeah. And that that's happiness. And that that's happiness. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but I mean, that goes back to like I remember watching um Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous in the eighties <laughs> and being like, This is a fucking appalling show. Um but anyway. Neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Yeah. And that was the first half of this book. Is anti-racist. Um, and I'm not going to give a judgment on the book yet because there's a whole other half. And maybe that's where the, the 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 parts that are offensive to this woman's morals and faith will crop up is in the second half. Yeah. I mean, she hasn't really mentioned faith at all anywhere. And I, this goes back to the question of what, what religion is she a part of that doesn't think that the things in this book are good like i don't know i'm i was you know raised catholic and everything she's said so far about you know we need to be treat people equally and all that like that's part of religion i I don't know i should i could have tried harder probably but i I tried to find a, a better example of what it was that this mother was so offended by um, or to find links to, because apparently she posted on her social media about it, and I couldn't find links to that either. But I have a feeling it's probably because the author is a biracial black woman, and she just doesn't want that stuff in her kid's life. Well, I don't like know. I said, I, I happen to think it's it's the it's the desire to look back on your family's 
place in in the history of racism mm-hmm. man and to you know question what you can do and should do in the future and a, a lot of a lot of people just like to maintain the ignorance of you know well i didn't do anything directly to black people so i'm not racist i don't know why you're complaining to me yeah right mm. um so it's it's just people who don't want to do the examining themselves because you know most students in the fourth grade aren't probably going to sit down and do this workbook in a vacuum right it's it's a conversation that they'll have with their parents they'll be like hey mom um, yeah i've got this book and I'm, I'm working on this thing and what can you tell me about the history of my family in this context and pretty soon that's where the parents yeah are like, oh, no, I... no 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 yeah, I could see it being more uncomfortable for the parent exactly. than it would be for the the child. Exactly. And at no point has this been framed as the child came to her and said, "Oh, I'm I'm uncomfortable with this book that yeah. I chose to bring home and could just return and not read if I didn't want to." <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, it's the mother who's all offended by her uh, about her morals and faith or whatever. So anyway. Um, Thanks for agreeing to do this book in such a, like, it was a pretty, pretty quick turnaround. Like I stumbled upon the story last week and I uh, was like, Hey, uh, want to do this like next week? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I didn't even read the book until like two days ago because I, I, for, I was going to get it on, on Saturday. And I was like, Oh, it's like the library closes in half an hour yeah. <laughs> and I really don't want to go to the downtown right now. And, uh, and then no, it's going to do it Friday. Uh, and then I was going to get it on Saturday before I drove out of town somewhere for a, a thing. And then I forgot about that. And I was just leaving to the thing. And I was like, oh, man, I don't have time, <laughs> enough time to get the book, which means I couldn't get it on Sunday because it was closed. And yeah. Monday was the holiday. So yeah. I had to wait till Tuesday to get it. And then I had to like read half the book in two days. So I so I ended up uh, I went to the or I called the library because you had mentioned there was one at either of the libraries yeah. in town. And I called the downtown one and they're like, no, we don't have one here. Uh, or no, sorry, I called the North Shore one, and they're like, no, we don't have one here. And I was like, well, can you check the downtown? And they're like, yep, I'll do that. Like, oh, no, they don't have one either. And I was like, oh, shit, I fucked up. So I was Googling out, like where I could find a PDF when of the book or something. did you the North Shore library? Uh, I don't know. It was like Tuesday, I guess. You must have must just snagged it. Probably, yeah. yeah. So, But they didn't have one. So now I just got an email today because I put one on hold, but I was like, I'm probably not going to get it in time to read it. Uh, but I got the email today saying there is one that I can go pick up. So I think for the second half, I'll actually oh, okay. read the book, like yeah, book book went, rather than the PDF. Because um, I searched on Friday. I went to the library website and I did a search. And you can actually, it'll break down which libraries in. Yeah, and I saw, it. yeah, it didn't have Kamloops, yet it said Kamloops had one. Mm-hmm. Like it was weird. In the, the general thing, it was like Kamloops has one. But then you click like the plus and it's like list every other TNRD library, but not a Kamloops one. So oh, I was like, weird. I don't get it. But yeah. When I looked, it had both Kamloops and Kamloops North. I got it from Kamloops North. Although when I was in the Kamloops North getting it, uh, I Googled it again there because uh, I couldn't remember what the, the, the number on it was to find the right aisle. And at that point, the one for downtown, it was in transit. Oh, okay. Yeah. It seems like a popular book because they have 10 copies within the TNRD, she was saying, and they were all like checked out. Yeah. And one was in transit, which is the one that I've I've got on hold right now. So yeah, like it's... That makes me feel good that there are, you know, 10 of them that are being read. read. Yeah, yeah, and and have holds on them. So, 
well, and in Canada, anyway. The you know this controversy will get this book into more people's minds and mm-hmm. maybe you know encourage more students who aren't in South Lake Texas to go seeking this book in their libraries and uh, you know doing the workbooks and you know learning what they can about personal and institutional racism. Yeah, it's. I'd I'd like to see something within our lifetime that more people have more privileges, mm. but it's really going to take those shitty parents to step Chill up. Chill the fuck out. Yeah, like right. they need to just let their children learn things yeah. and acknowledge the uncomfortable pasts that we all have from our ancestors and just acknowledging that, yeah, maybe I'm not a shitty person, but people before me were, and I need to be part of the solution. Yeah. Remember, kids, you could be the generation that you've been waiting for. And so can we, Todd. So can <laughs> Don't we. leave it up to your can kids. We all? That's right. Yes. Well, no, but I was, I was directing that to kids of parents who aren't going to help. Right? <laughs> okay, all right. Don't, yeah. don't learn from your parents. You, you can stand up and be the good guys, even if your parents don't want to do that. Yes. And if your parents do want to do that, then that's even better. That's like you got more power. Yeah. Then you have a lot more support. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was part one. Uh, I. So far, I'm I'm really enjoying this book, and I'm happy that you have asked me to, you know, guest host on this book because, yeah, it's just given me a lot to reflect on. Yeah, yeah, I find that too. Uh, it's it's a different sort of book than one that we've done before because this isn't really a novel. It's not really telling a story. It's it's more a, a reflection on you know. It's asking us to reflect on ourselves while the yeah. author reflects on herself, and while also reflecting on sort of history, but. Um, you know, I think all of her anecdotes and the, the, you know, how personal she makes everything does invite us as readers to Mm -hmm. investigate ourselves. You know, her openness, um, inspires a certain openness, uh, in ourselves as we look at ourselves and, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, that was the first half of, uh, this book is anti-racist. Thank you for listening. Uh, this has been When Bad Things Happen to Good People. As always, uh, if you want to support us or check out our uh, social media, you can find links to all that at our website at blah, 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 media.com. That's B-L-A-H-B-L-A-H-B-L-A-H-media.com. Uh, there's a Patreon there uh, that you can uh, sign up for monthly support or you can do a buy me a coffee, uh, which will probably go towards beer. But um We'll see, given the day. Um, any final thoughts before we go? Uh, I'm just, I'm looking forward to uh, reading the second half of this book. Cool. Oh, yeah. is there anything you want to plug? Uh, our other podcasts? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, normally I am on Half Cut Conspiracies with Todd, and that one is basically us just having some drinks and talking about some uh, random conspiracies yeah, that have infiltrated more, uh, modern society. Yeah, a little bit looser, less serious... Yeah, we we like to laugh and have a good time and joke around on that one. Uh, we are well in the name half cut, uh, so <laughs> we uh, yeah we it's it's a good time. We just talked about uh, the death of Tupac Shakur, right? Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting one for me, and I think you learned a lot. I did learn a lot. I believe <laughs> yeah. it or not, 
uh, as a super super white guy, I don't have a big history with like rap music. So you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not not any less white. There and, was uh, uh, well, you must know, be a little I bit just, less uh, white. Than me, I, <laughs> I just used to listen to it growing up because my brother was older. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that was a fun one. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in conspiracies and just random funny drunk guys talking, then uh, yeah, check out Half Cut Conspiracies. All right. Uh, then until next time, this would be a good time to go read a fucking book. <laughs> <laughs>